I am pumped up about this new series I'm starting today. Uh, it is uh, going to be called More, and you'll understand why in a, a little bit. This is a concept that somebody, uh, somebody taught me about a decade ago in a church seminar I was in, and I thought, man, that is really interesting. I've never heard anybody teach about this, this kind of prevalent biblical concept until he said it. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm not sure how I would teach it other than just kind of a one-off talk. And, and, you know, one-off talks are good, but it seems to me, you know, it, I like to kind of marinate on things and, and, and let them see, you know, season in our minds. And so I like to spend more than one week on things if we can so that we, we kind of get it. And so here's what I started to realize over the last bunch of weeks as I started kind of contemplating this. This is not a concept. This is a biblical theme. And it's a big one. It is, for lack of a better way to describe it, what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is a worldview that Jesus had, that Jesus lived under, and we don't. I mean, shocking, right? Imagine, Jesus had a worldview we don't, you know, breaking news from Pastor John. But this is something that Jesus was very familiar with, and you and I, it's, we're very foreign to it. But here's what I can promise you, and by the way, we'll talk about this over the next few weeks. People outside of the church are getting this more than people inside of the church, which I just think has to be breaking the heart of God. But if we would see this right, it'll have a major impact on your life, on your worry, your stress, your anxiety, your happiness. But more importantly, for those of us inside the walls of the church, this will have a bigger impact on your ability to spread the sphere of the kingdom of God into your places of influence like no other thing. It's that important. And so to get started, I'm going to start this morning um, with a question. Here's the question. What is the best party that you have ever been invited to? A lot of us know, right? Like I, I know that, you know, if you ask me, I kind of remember that party when it was. The fanciest, most wonderful, extravagant, beyond, you know, what you could have reasonably expected, kind of. In fact, forget reasonably expected. Beyond what your wildest expectations for a party could have been. I want you to, to get that image in your mind. Now, if you ask me, being a pastor, uh, for me, you know, the best parties I get invited to are weddings. I, I, I get invited to a lot of weddings. For some reason, people feel the need to invite me to the wedding after I marry them. And I often feel bad for the poor people that sit at the table that I get stuck at. You know, I try to play it off cool for a little while, and inevitably, you know, somebody realizes, oh my gosh, the pastor's sitting here, and I said this, or I drank that. And so, you know, I don't want to put a damper on anybody's good time, so from now on, do not feel obliged to invite me to your wedding. But I've been to weddings all over uh, the state of New Jersey. I've been to the most exclusive venues around, and I've been to weddings in backyards. And here's what I've learned about weddings is they can be equally as awesome in all kinds of different venues. Because what matters the most, and I've been, again, I've been to a lot of these, is, is what the host did how painstakingly the host has prepared the wedding. How much it looks like, and you know what I mean, when you walk into a wedding, right? Like, sometimes you just walk in and it feels kind of antiseptic. But other times you walk in and, like, the creativity is off the charts. Usually it starts with, like, the little name tag or whatever, right? You know, the one where you're hoping you don't have the same table as the pastor? That name tag? You know, you're like, oh, that was so inventive. And, and there's all kinds of other things that start to tell you that the host 
really prepared for you. They cared about, for example, maybe what the place looked like. I was at a wedding in a backyard recently, and, and some friends had, had created an atmosphere in a tent in a backyard that was better than any place I've ever seen. It was incredible, the work that they had put into it, how inviting it was. I mean, you've seen them, right? You, you go to these kind of parties, and, and, and you just feel welcome because of how inspired the table gifts are, right? Like, or how delicious the food is, or how good the band was, or how generous the bartender is. I've been to a lot of weddings. Now, I have two daughters, and so I'm always looking at these weddings through the, in an evaluating eye. For example, I really loved a backyard wedding. That made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> right? Because I, I constantly am going, what's the most fun we could have for the least amount of price? And I keep telling my daughters the thing I've learned the most is if you want people to have a good time, make them feel like the host has provided for them everything they could want and need, that they're valued, and when they feel that way, they, have a, they tend to, to let loose, have a good time, and enjoy the party. Welcome to the worldview of Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus grows up steeped in Hebrew scripture and culture, and Jesus understands the story of his people who have told the story of creation for thousands of years. Maybe you know it. It's found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, second chapter. Here's how it's described. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Let me begin by then saying, this is the beginning of the party. Welcome to the cosmic jam. The Lord God made, now walk with me through this because I don't think we think about this a lot. The Lord God made all kinds of trees. Think about the host here. God could have just said, you know what? This would be, you know, I'd be telling Courtney, Wait, Court, how much food do they need, right? Just give them, I don't know, Pop-Tarts, right? I mean, God could have said, I don't know, apple trees. They're not much to look at, but, you know, they'll be in an all-apple diet. They'll be vegan before vegan is cool, and we'll go that way, right? But God doesn't do that. He, got, he makes all kinds of trees. Here's what's interesting. Do you know why he made all kinds of trees? He made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye. Did you ever notice that God made trees for the sole purpose of being attractive so that you and I would walk around like we do on fall days in New Jersey and go, that's unbelievable. It's just really beautiful. God, that's the host that he is. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to see what I've done for you. And, 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 trees that were pleasing the eye and good for food. You know, God doesn't need food. He made it for you. He's the ultimate party host. Welcome to the party where the generous host has made sure there is enough for everyone. You need not worry about what you need. You need not do anything more than relax and enjoy the abundance provided by the host. Kick up your shoes, it's time to dance. What a picture. And welcome to the mindset of Jesus. Now you might say, well, John, we don't live in a world like that. The world we live in is fallen, it's different. What I've experienced is anything like that. See, we perceive the world 
to be a world of not abundance, but of scarcity and, and struggle. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus walked around in the same world, in a world full of poverty, in a world full of Roman oppression at the time. He, he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be lonely. Yet in the midst of all of that, because of his mindset, he was able to say things like, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Or you should sell all the stuff that you have and give it to the poor. How? Well, it's because Jesus understood something that you and I don't. What Jesus understood is that the scarcity issue, the scarcity problem, wasn't due to a lack of resources, but to a mindset that ultimately says there's not enough and this host can't be trusted. The buffet, it might run out. The keg, it, it might tap. The, the band, it, it might quit. And since the host can't be trusted, you know, there might not be enough. And since the host can't be trusted, what am I going to have to do? I guess I'm just going to have to take matters into my own hands. Welcome to the scarcity mindset which is a pattern, a rut, a way of thinking common to all of us. And when you embrace it at deep levels, which we all have, it drives us to permit ourselves to justify all kinds of evil. Because if there's not enough, and if the host can't be trusted, here's what I'm going to need to make sure of. I need to make sure I have enough for me, and I need to make sure I have enough for my own first. And when the scarcity mindset sets in, think about this. That is a big, big, big biblical theme. When the scarcity mindset sets in, it, it has at its root the beginning of all other sin. Jealousy, he has more. I need more. Envy, gluttony, I need more. War, gossip, hatred, theft. There's not enough. The host can't be trusted. I've got to go out and get it on my own. I've got to make sure I have it and you don't because it's a, there's only so much pie. If there's only so much pie. I need to get my slice. John Maxwell gives a great analogy of this concept. He goes, imagine you and I are walking down the street. You breathe in, you breathe out. You and I are walking down the street. We both need oxygen to survive. Would you worry that there wouldn't be enough oxygen for both of us? Of course not. Why? Because air is abundant. See how you behave when you believe in abundance. Now imagine we're scuba diving and my scuba tank starts to malfunction. I signal to you that I need to share the oxygen in your tank. Suddenly, scarcity sets in. And the air becomes more of a precious commodity because there's not enough. And what does scarcity do? Scarcity makes me protective. Scarcity makes me defensive. Scarcity makes me anxious. Scarcity makes me worry. And scarcity makes me swim in the opposite direction of you. Because what if there isn't enough? This is hardwired into our brains. There's a lot of scientific data on this. And the world in which we live in, really smart people understand this and use it to manipulate you and I all over the place for their good. 
Here's what I want you to do today. When you go home, you know, if you're like me, you go home, you flip on a football game or whatever. I want you to watch TV today and start to think if they're appealing to your scarcity mindset. Now, many of you know they do that with ads, right? You know, there's not enough... Um, there's not enough of fame or fortune or, or people that'll think you're, you're whatever, and so you better buy this, or you better do that, or you better have that, right? Because it's not enough, not enough, not enough. Get this and then. But it's not just that. It's everywhere. It, think about um, the news. I, when I was a kid, I used to ask my mom this, but I've just kind of gotten used to it now. H- have you noticed that nobody reports ever any good news. And if they do, it's a big deal, right? Like, hey, we're gonna have a special segment tonight on good news, right? Nobody reports good news. Why? Because good news doesn't sell. Nobody picks up a newspaper, nobody flips on a TV to hear about good news. See, you and I are in a world where we're constantly bombarded, by the way, like nowhere before. If you want to understand why anxiety and worry are shooting through the roof, understand that you're being bombarded by this message all the time, the message of scarcity. Since we have so uh, so many messages coming at us and our brain can only process so many, what we tend to do then is look for things that we need that would impact our survival, things that we need to know, things that are important to us. And then we let go of the things that aren't. And since we're kind of hardwired to to look for those kind of survival things, the place where all that information kind of flows through in our brain is a small place in your temporal lobe called the amygdala. The amygdala is really, if you search this, you can search fight or flight, right? Many of you know that kind of thought process, right? Like, am I I gonna stay and fight for this? Am I gonna take off? Because that's what fear does. The amygdala is where that process is in your brain. It's kind of your fear and danger detector. It sorts everything coming at you, and it holds on to the things that might harm us. The amygdala is at, what, it's at the heart of the scarcity mindset because that's where our center of fear is. It's the amygdala that sorts through all the news that comes at you on your tablets and your cell phone and your radio, and it lets go of the good news and holds on to the bad news. It holds on to that and teaches you over and over Danger, fear, scarcity, not enough. It is the amygdala that forces me when I am in a buffet line at a nice wedding to look down the buffet and see that the salad is slightly empty and thus I need to load up on rolls. (laughs) Have you done this? Don't tell me I haven't done it. I know you've done it. You look down, you see the meat, right? It's the amygdala that, you know, you ever been at the wedding where your guy goes up to the, the keg and he pours himself a beer and it starts to spit some air? You know what he does? He takes a second beer, right? It's the amygdala that goes, there's not another keg there. This is what's processing in your brain and it's there all the time, 24-7, reinforcing to you this concept of there's not enough, there's not enough, scarcity, scarcity, danger, danger. It's for this very reason that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says, as believers, you're going to need to be transformed. And the way that's going to happen is you're going to have to renew your minds. You're going to change based on changing the way you think because you need to think differently, kind of like Jesus. There's a brilliant website called The Bible Project. And the guys at The Bible Project, in their work on this topic, point out that in the midst of all the fear and strife that that encompassed the ancient world, as the scarcity mindset took hold, 
God decided he was going to enter it again and show the kind of abundant God he was. And because he wanted his people to understand his generosity, he chooses one man, one person named Abraham. And he begins to bless Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I am going to to give you a land of abundance for you and your people. And when you come into that land, when your people come into that land, They're going to be blessed beyond measure and therefore their role is to be a blessing so that all of the world will know who I am and what I'm like, that I'm a good host that can be trusted. Many of you know the story. It's the story of the Old Testament. God leads his people into a land flowing with milk and honey and all they need to do is trust him. But they can't and they won't. And so they begin to think that this is all somehow of their doing They begin to lose faith in the host. They begin to forget the host. And what do they do? They begin begin to hoard. They begin to believe that there's not going to be enough. They begin to turn one on another. And they ultimately wind up in a sea of destruction. But God does not give up on his people. See, the ultimate host, he chooses once again to provide for his people, this time in the form of the ultimate gift. In the person of Jesus, actually God, it's interesting, God shows up at our dysfunctional party. And he lives in the party, walks around in the party like nobody else. Everybody else is stealing the china. God is walking around handing out drinks. He lives under the conviction and mindset that there's enough and that that the host can be trusted. Think this through. You see this in Jesus' life everywhere. Many of you know the story one day Jesus is at the home of someone and a woman comes in and she takes an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume and she cracks it on the ground and she pours it over Jesus' head, anoints him with this expensive perfume. And the disciples do exactly what Pastor John would do. What are you doing? Do you know what we could have sold that on Long Valley Virtual for? We could have fed the poor with that money which sounds all spiritual. And Jesus looks and goes, why are you guys bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Because somehow Jesus doesn't believe there's only this much perfume. This is the mindset Jesus had when he was out with his disciples on the side of a mountain and it was growing late. And, it, and his disciples came and said, Jesus, you know, we only got a couple of fish and a few, a few loaves here. You got to send these people home. Jesus doesn't see the world that way. And Jesus says, don't send them home, feed them. Well, Jesus, how can we feed them? There's not enough food. Jesus says, bring it to me. Jesus takes the five loaves, two fish, looks up to heaven, gives thanks, breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to all the people. They all ate. They all were satisfied. And the disciples pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. Jesus does not see the world the way you and I see it, and it allows him to walk through it as the generous host, loving everyone, blessing everyone, giving himself freely away. He has a totally different mindset. Now, he understands that you and I are deeply embedded in the scarcity stuff and the fear that grips us because of it. In fact, he addresses it pretty clearly because he understands how toxic it's going to be for you, how afraid you're going to be, how worried you're going to be, how anxious you're going to be, especially as these stories have proliferated. This is why our kids have anxiety out the wazoo. Their amygdala is in overdrive. Nobody has taught them that they worship a God of abundance and not a God of scarcity. 
One day Jesus is teaching, a guy yells out from the crowd, he says, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. There's not enough, Jesus, I need that inheritance. And so Jesus, as he often does, launches into a parable which doesn't seem to go with it. But here's what he said, he goes, the ground of a certain rich man yielded a, what kind of harvest, coincidentally? An abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Well, there was more than enough for his needs. And so with this abundance, uh, he had a choice to make regarding what he was going to do with the extra. He had enough for him and his family. Presumably, he already had some barns that he had filled up. And so the question becomes, what do I do with this? Well, with an abundance mentality, the answer is very clear. He doesn't have an abundance mentality. Then he said to himself, what I will do is I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And then I'll store up my surplus gain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry, and buy a condo. Because instead of being generous like the host who had provided for the harvest was, instead he thought to himself, you know what, if I store up enough now, then I won't need to worry about tomorrow because if I store up enough now, I won't have to trust the host. Now I know there's a lot here and it could, I know there's a lot here and there's probably enough for everyone, but, but if I let it go now, how do I know there'll be enough? And so, I, you know, I mean, I could trust, but I think I'm just gonna hold on to this. And plus if I hold on to this now, then, you know, I, I really become master of my days tomorrow and I don't have to, you know, I, I, I could have no worries next week. I'll kick back and, and you know, I, there's a golf cart with my name on it somewhere and an early bird special and a shuffleboard court and I have a lot of dreams with this. But God said to him, you fool. I just like this because God's so direct. Not you misguided soul. Not, oh, my mistaken child. You idiot. How could you be so stupid? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And I don't believe this is punitive. This is not God saying, because you're this way, I'm killing you. God doesn't work that way, okay? What he's saying is, I know something you don't, okay? Your days are numbered. I've known when you were leaving from the time you, were be you began. And tonight, you're gonna die. And let me ask you a question. Who is gonna get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. We will all be fools and have the same lament because we believed in a principle of scarcity when we worship the God of abundance. I was talking to my mom this week. My mom's watching me online right now, always critiques me when I get home. And so, uh, so uh, my mom has COPD. She can't breathe very easily. It's very hard for her to get around. She lives on the second floor of her house, which is kind of a shame because everything's upstairs, so it's really hard for her to get up and down the stairs. And so I've been begging her to move. We gotta move. Come on, mom, let me move you. Do, do you anybody wanna know why my mom will not move? Because she has too much stuff. I can't move. Why can't you move? Because what am I going to do with all of this stuff? And I said, Mom, this is ridiculous. You, you can't get out of the house. You're stuck on the second floor. I said, uh, she goes, all right, well, I'll, I'll move when you guys come over and help me g get rid of all this stuff. And I said, well, what are we going to do with it? She goes, I guess we're just going to throw it in a dumpster. 
you fools. There was enough for everyone. Why is it that you hoarded it all up? It's funny, right after this story, I picture Jesus talking to the guy that was worried about his inheritance. Right after this story, Jesus shifts and he turns to his disciples and he says, therefore, all right, because you don't want to be like that. That's a mindset of scarcity. There's not enough, so let me hoard what there is. I'm telling you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body or what you'll wear. And Jesus has covered most of the things that we lose sleep over. For life is more than food in the body and clothes. What I love is Jesus just tied this whole thing to the concept of worry and anxiety and fear. The concept of scarcity versus abundance. You'll see it more in a second, but can I just tell you? I had a lot less anxiety and fear when I had a lot less money in my 401k. Call Pastor John when the Dow drops 800 points and see how I'm doing. It was a day where I didn't care. Jesus was going, no, he said, you don't understand. If you worry about that stuff, you're never going to have the kind of life I've intended you to live. There's a party going on and you were invited. Stop picking up the silverware. Now, Jesus, he, he wants us to understand something, so he tries to give us a visual. And I think we've, we've gotten so used to hearing the story about this visual that we don't enter it. And so if you know me, you're, I'm big on, we've got to enter the scripture and consider this, okay? So I, I want to consider a story. I need my two helpers. Who are my helpers this service? Here's one. Where's my, here comes my other one. Jesus says at one point, right, right here, he goes, okay, here's how, here's how you're going to have to understand this. He says, I need you to consider two things. I want you to think about them. The first thing he says is, I want you to consider the wildflowers or the flowers of the field. The second thing Jesus says is, I want you to consider the ravens or the birds of the air. I would like to introduce everybody to Mo. This is my bird, Mo. Everyone say hello, Mo. That's great. He'll be saying that all night now. So, um, actually, he doesn't talk. It's a long story. We were hoping he would talk. uh, I guess only male birds talk. And so we named him Mo. Come to find out, he's really Maureen. So that hasn't worked. And uh, this was an indulgence to a 12-year-old boy that is now 22. I'm stuck with a bird for another decade, apparently. The weirdest thing is much as, I mean, birds are dirty animals. By the way, this bird will be available right after service today. It's a lovely bird. This bird, for some reason, this bird loves me like crazy. I have no idea why. I don't feed the bird. I don't clean up after the bird. But the bird loves me. He won't let anybody else touch him. You stick your finger in there, you're going you're gonna to come out with a not, you know, raw finger. If I let him out right now, he'd land on my shoulder and he'd sit here all day. Now, he'd poop on it too. But he, when I get up in the morning, I, my bedroom's on the opposite side of the house. For when this bird lives, as soon as my feet hit the ground, he starts screaming. He just, for some reason, he loves me. But I'm very welcome. I'm happy to give him to you because I, I think you would enjoy him and your children. They're actually, when we're done, they'll take him up to children's ministry and the kids, whoever wants him up there is going to actually take him home. So... Here's what what Jesus said. You ready? We're going to do it. Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, but God feeds them. Now listen to this, church. How much more valuable are you than the birds? 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus, again, tying this issue of worry and anxiety to scarcity and abundance of hoarding and trusting yourself versus trusting the host and enjoying the party. Then he looks and he goes, you know, consider the the wildflowers. Let's just do this right for a minute. Can I just ask you to pause for a minute and consider the birds of the field and the flowers? Jesus says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. But I'm telling you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus harps on the value issue. Can I explain something to you about this bird? Six months ago, Jonah and I were driving home. I've been stuck with this bird for a decade, okay? I've been trying to get somebody to adopt them for years. Nobody wants them. Six months ago, Jonah and I are driving home from some event, and Courtney calls because she had gone in the house, and she was out at the pool all afternoon and left the door open. Well, Mo flies around the house a lot. We kind of give them sometimes, you know, let them fly around. Well, Mo took advantage and apparently flew out. Never happened in the decade we've had him. So Courtney calls us up crying. I feel so bad for this bird. Now, I look at Mo and think he's pretty street tough, and I think he'd be all right outside, <laughs> right? But, you know, the reality is he was probably going to be vulture food moments after he got out of the door. And so Court is outside. This, I love this story. She's walking around the front yard shaking bird treats as if Mo is going to come. And she's looked in all the bushes, and she can't find Mo anywhere. And she feels bad. And to tell you the truth, even I felt bad because I've been stuck with this bird for 10 years. And I'm thinking, well, that's going to be a horrible way to die, right? Like, you know, out there. This is a true story. So... We hang up, and I go, God, if there's any way you could bring the bird back, that would really be great. (laughs) It's a true story. One minute later, some of you guys know this story. It's a true story. One minute later, Joan's phone buzzes. She's in a group text with all these Long Valley moms. Does anybody have a mi- know of a missing cockatiel? One just flew into my house. <laughs> I'm just looking at God going, you got to be kidding me, man, right? Like, the one, this is the one that, that you... Let me ask you this question. I want you to understand something. you got to hear this. If God would do that for this bird, what would he be willing to do for you? Do you get that? The value you have? And then Jesus ties it to faith. He goes, it's by faith that we live believing there's enough and that the the good host of this party can be trusted. Hoarding ruins the party for everybody. I wasn't going to be home on Halloween and Joan had an appointment, so so nobody was going to be there. So Joan, she's so sweet and so innocent, and she looks at me and she goes, well, let's just put a big bowl of candy out on the front porch. I said, what, are you an idiot? I said, (laughs) because she believes in abundance and her pastor husband would go on the law of scarcity says the first little punk that comes at his door is going to dump the whole thing in his bag (laughs) and ruin the party for everybody. 
Do you see what scarcity thinking does to us? You know, there's more than enough money to go around. There's more than enough fame and glory and love to go around. The host provided for it. You know, just in America, just out of kind of interest, here's an interesting stat. In America, we throw away enough food every year to feed 50 million people. The host has provided enough for everyone. The question is, what's your mindset? Jesus goes on and he makes it a hard issue as he always does. He says, don't set your heart on what you're gonna eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Again, the same old issue. Why am I so worried? For the pagan world runs after all those things, but your father knows that you need them. You don't need to worry. Your dad knows you need it. But seek first his kingdom and seek first, in a sense, the party and these things will be given you as well. And then he says what he said more than any other thing. And this is, you would say it too if you really embraced a mindset of abundance. You would say it too. He goes, don't be afraid. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The party began. The host has invited you. And when you buy into the concept, you know how easy it is to say, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. There's enough for everyone here. Provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out a treasure in heaven that'll never fail where no thief comes, no moth destroys, and the Tao doesn't drop 1,500 points. And he gives maybe the greatest teaching on money in all the scriptures. For where your treasure is, where you're hoarding and storing stuff up, where you've allowed your thoughts and your mindset and, your, and, and all of your effort to pour into, where your time is and when your mo- where your money goes, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart is. And that's all the host has ever wanted. Your heart is where your investment is. Jesus is saying, look, you got to stop trusting in the barns. I've provided enough for everyone. You got to start trusting in the host. So how do you transform your mind? What, what do you do to move from a mindset of scarcity and, and hoarding to a mindset of generosity and abundance? Well, the first thing you do is you need to change your relationship with the concept of one word, more. When my kids were little, I used to work Monday to Friday and Joan would work on Saturday and Sunday. And and so it was really unfair if you think about it in terms of who those babies were going to like more. And so uh, I, I, she didn't know this and she's sick today, so, you know, I'll share it with you. Well, what happened is when Joan was away on the weekends, it became um, kind of like a quest for me to make sure that, that my kids said daddy first um, because it was unfair. She was there five days and I was only there two. And so I would just all day, daddy, 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 daddy. You know, I'd hand him candy, daddy, you know, thinking that if I did it enough, one day I'd say to Joan, do you see who this kid loves more? And uh, I was really disappointed when her, uh, their first word wasn't, Daddy, and it was a mommy. You all know what it was. No. No was their first word. Followed immediately by, and I'm not sure which one came first, mine or more, because the amygdala was at work. Mine or more. Some of you know my daughter Caroline runs track. Some of you also know we have a little thing in our our home, and listen, you know, no judgment here. This is just the way I've, the deal I have with my kids. 
if you get a tattoo prior to college graduation, you will not be, you'll not be graduating college or you'll be doing so under your own loans. Um, it's just, you know, my way of trying to keep the skin clear until 22 or something. So one day, Caroline is getting ready to race last year and I look at her at the line and do you know what she has written right on her arm there? A tattoo. 16 years old and I'm gone. You are so dead. <laughs> like when you get off that line, I'm, I, I, don't, I, I don't even know what to do with you. So she gets done and I go up to her and I'm like, the heck is that? She goes, what? I said, that thing on your arm and I hope you're gonna enjoy trade school. <laughs> she goes, she turns it over and it says, always more. And I said, well, what is it? She goes, it's not a tattoo. Like, if you know Caroline, she's really precise. She had put it on with a marker, like a Sharpie, but it looked just like a tattoo. I said, well, why would you write something stupid like that on your arm? And she goes, well, I got it from this story in Luke about Barnes. And I said, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, there's this college runner, and she started a business called Always More. And so I looked it up. Here's what the girl wrote. She said, over the years, I've kept every pair of running shoes I've ever had. I spray paint them red, I write notes on them, I say a prayer, and I throw them on telephone wires near places significant to my life. It's become my way of letting go of certain seasons in my life and embracing a new one. On the bottom of every pair, I write always more. These words represent the way I strive to live, based on my motives for living that way. These words are always ringing in my ears or written on my hand as my life reminder. They remind me that this present world and everything in it is passing away, yet there is always more to look forward to in the, in the new heavens. Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 12. I hate when my kids do stuff like that to me. <laughs> Here's how Paul summed up this concept. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can you just get a sense for what it would be like to live believing in the host, believing that there was enough that you lived in a world of abundance and not scarcity. I want to give you a couple ways to work on that this week because I think you'll find it so freeing. First, I need you to embrace a new truth about this word more. Here's what it is. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. I know that's hokey, but we need to get it in our minds together. There will be always more. I don't need always more. Do it with me one more time. There will be always more. I don't need always more. And when you begin to believe that, and when you begin to have the eyes of Jesus, when you look through a lens of abundance, when you start to understand the kingdom party has broken out, there is more than enough the host can be trusted, then you begin to see opportunities to be generous everywhere. Practically, empty your barns a little. Trust the hose. Do something crazy. See how it feels. What happens when the kingdom starts to break out in your little sphere of influence? Build your treasures there, not here, because your heart is going to go where your money goes. Make a commitment to change where your money is going. You know there's enough, right? 
Just so you know, in the next couple weeks, we're trying to make it even more practical. Starting tomorrow at noon, a new Facebook page for Menham Hills is getting launched called Care to Share. And it will allow anybody that wants to give stuff away for free to post it on there and anybody in the church who needs something to take it. Care to share. I got more than I need. Maybe somebody here needs it. Second thing we're going to do is, and we already have this nailed down, we have a wonderful um, financial advisor that's going to help us. Starting in January to kick off the new year, we're going to run Financial Peace University. Um, A premier financial um, consultant in our area is going to run that for us, and you'll be able to sign up and figure out how to start to move some of your, to get your finances in order and begin to change your heart a little bit. I'll give you two more, and we'll be done. Number one, if you want to start to feel the concept, embrace the concept of abundance and not scarcity, I want you to do something this week. I want you to go out and give somebody else credit. If you're like me, I need to tell you everything I've done and make sure I get credit for all of it because I don't think there's enough to go around. I need to make sure if I write a book about God and you write a book about God, my scarcity mindset says, I need to make sure nobody knows you wrote a book about God because that'll impact the sales of my book about God. But what if I started saying that you wrote a book about God and you started saying I wrote a book about God? Then a lot of people start to read books about God. See, start to think about giving somebody else credit for something. This is actually kind of fun and interesting. There's enough to go around. If you're married, let me give you this one. Here's a great idea. You can't do it for a couple weeks because your spouse will think you're just doing it because I told you to, so they'll forget in a couple weeks. Tell your kids how great your spouse is. See, most of the time, if you're like me, do you know how hard I work to put food on this table? Which kind of subtly, you know, sends a message that, and mom, you know, doesn't. What if this week you went to your kids somewhere and said, you need to know how blessed you are, man. If it was just up to me, we'd be totally in the tank. But your mother has saved this family over and over and over again. So every time you're thankful for a parent, I'm happy you're thankful for me, but you should really be thankful for her. That's abundance. There's enough credit and glory to go around. You really want to feel it? Go into your boss this week and tell him that your coworker is better than you are. Hard to believe, right? You know, there's enough credit and promotion and money and salary to go around. You know that. You know, I got to tell you, Jim over here, I can't keep up with him. He works harder and smarter than me. He's just, we are so blessed to have him on the team. It's a mindset of abundance. As the band comes up, and we're going to pick this up next week. Listen, guys, consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You want to make it simple? Be like Mo. He's not sweating anything out. Do you know how much more valuable you are to God than this bird? But can I tell you something? This bird is living with a heck of a lot less stress in his life than you are. Trust the host. Thank him for his provision. Remind yourself over and over what he's done, what he's given, what he's provided. Be thankful and let your faith grow. The host has joined our dysfunctional party and he's inviting you to come. He's prepared it just for you. There's enough for everyone. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, he, he, he saw it cut this way when he prophesied about Jesus' coming. I want you to hear this. 
He says, come. This is God speaking. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You hear the heart of the host. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Here's what God says. He goes, listen to me. Listen and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen. So that you may live.